have something to read, right? Hmm, theme music. That's a radio, boy. Yeah, what's it do? We're almost at episode 100, gentlemen, which is quite an endeavor for us. It's been a long time coming. A lot of podcasts don't last this long. Like three years in the making. We're like right almost at the three-year mark and almost at 100 episodes. We've guaranteed release more than 100 pieces of content, though. We've got a lot of episodes that we don't number and things of that nature. And unreleased content. Probably should put that out. Some of them are getting pretty dated. I've got an interview that I did in front of Coins Bar, rest in peace, Coins Bar, and I was really drunk during the interview, (laughs) and I haven't been drinking for like over 500 days now, so word up. Here we are, Mega Late Show episode number 98. Hello, hello. Peace. I am Mega, a friendly co-host of the Mega Late Show, along with... Yo, this is Late, super unfriendly, Grouchabe. Mm, I like that. Approach your life in a generally violent way. Um, yes, also today is a very special episode. We have a tremendous guest who I'm going to tell you about in a minute. But first, I want to go ahead and give a shout out to two of our guest hosts. We've got two in the building today. One of them is recording more than he's going to be talking, I think. But Katomi of uh, Sunday Replay uh, Notoriety. Hello, Katomi. Good afternoon, hey, ladies man. and gentlemen. It's nice to be back again. Hey, I'm really sorry for misspelling your name on the last episode you were in. No, you're right. It was only for the Instagram, so, you know, it's, it's correct it's everywhere no else, right? no big deal. I'm pretty sure no one remembers it anyway. I forget what episode that was. That was a number? Katomi. Yeah. Was it numbered? See? No, that was uh, somebody didn't show up. And oh, what's his That face? was episode number somebody we didn't show a, up. We had yeah. a person who didn't show up, and... Uh, yeah, the only person, and that's I filled in the up. only person that's never. I was the Excelsior up. coffee of the Starbucks coffee that didn't show up. Mm. Well, just like well, shout out the Keen Joaquin who's also in the studio. Peace, Keen. Three D God. Peace. Uh, just like that time, we had an artist as a guest, so we were like, "Yo, it'd be dope to have our resident art correspondent Katomi of Sunday Replay roll through mm-hmm. and uh, share some insight into." I'm just rambling now. I was waiting for somebody to like. No, no, I was letting you pick it up. up. Yeah, if I yeah, actually, yeah. if I actually may, um, I'd like to say this uh, officially. Um, please keep an eye out on the Sunday Replay YouTube channel. Uh, in a couple of weeks, things are going to become very interesting. Get back on that. You guys have been on a hiatus for so long. It's been a bit. So Sunday Replay, um, Chris, it is something that him and two other of our friends do, where they interview uh, notable. Notable DJs uh, in the area, they recorded and they play like retro video games, which you mm-hmm. mentioned you don't yeah, care yeah, about yeah. at all. So uh, you <laughs> well, may not I, be watching. I, I care about them, but it's not that I, I'm not that I'm versed on them, but still. Yo, okay. Mecca, who are you talking to? <laughs> I'm talking to Chris Mosdell. <laughs> Am I pronouncing that right? Mosdell? Yes, Mosdell. The, yes. the Moz? Mosdell, yes. Yeah, should we, uh, should we call you Christopher? What should we call no, you? No, you better call me Chris for now. Okay, yeah. Chris. Although I have become more noble in the, in the last, mm. uh, in the last few, few, few when months. When that OB yeah. kicks in, though. Yeah. Oh. Well, you know, Sir we we, we don't actually have the authority to knight anyone here. Oh, come on. But <laughs> we have absolutely. Can we have un- unofficially knight me? Yeah. <laughs> anyone Sir got, Chris. Anyone got a sword here? Are you a, are yeah. you a comic book fan? Um, relatively so. Cuz we're we're pretty big comic book heads, so we can knight you like the Dark Knight. Mm. Uh, yeah. I prefer the to Black be a Knight light one, yeah. but still. Yeah. Uh, actually, you know, Sir Chris kind of sounds a lot like Sir Kiss. 
Maybe <laughs> we're just keeping it like uh, Sir you know? Christopher is rather nice. Okay, though. Sir okay. Christopher. Yeah. All right, let me tell some of the people about <laughs> this guy we have here. He is just such an incredible person who's had a long and illustrious creative career um, working here, coming here to Japan uh, 40 years ago, like 1976. <laughs> yes, now you're going to date me. Yes, uh, that's 40 years ago. You, you know, we've got to draw a frame of reference for our listeners. But let me read, I'm just going to read off the back of his, um, I guess, latest release here. Yeah, uh, so I can kind of highlight very quickly some of his creative endeavors. He is a British lyricist slash poet and has been awarded the Yuki Hayashi Newkirk Poetry Prize, the Tokyo Music Festival's Gold Prize, the Grand Prize for Poetry at the Boulder, Colorado Festival of Literature. His lyrics have been recorded by Michael Jackson, Eric Clapton, uh, Boy George, uh, Ryuchi Sakamoto, and the Yellow Magic Orchestra, amongst others. He's included in soundtracks to some of our most beloved uh, anime, uh, such as Ghost in the Shell, Gundam, uh, Mobile Suit Gundam. Uh, he's just crazy. He's a crazy person who's been an, a creative person out here for such a long time. He's uh, collaborated with the London Silly Ballet, uh, wrote this scenario for the dance drama Amaterasu based on the deity in Japanese mid-cycle. He performed at the West End's uh, Theatre Royale. Um, and he's just living in Tokyo, living in New York. I met him through our good friend Jordan Ape Smith, who is an editor and professor. Uh, he edits for the Tokyo Poetry Journal. And... When I met Chris, you know, he came up, very charming British type of guy here, very British guy. And and uh, I, I say, you know, nice to meet you. He's like, oh, Jordan, I've got a new book for you. Here's here's the here's my newest works. Check it out. I'm looking at it. I'm like, wow, that looks so incredible. And Jordan, like when Chris walks away a little, he's like, do you know who that is? I'm selling like, that book on that the street. Is. That's why. Yeah, right, right. Yeah, yeah. Peddling your wares. <laughs> I'm just a vendor. <laughs> no, but uh, Jordan, Jordan tried his best to tell me about your greatness. And after I got your book and I went home, I did some Googling. I looked at your Wikipedia page and it is just full of these incredible creative accomplishments. Um, it, it, it was mind blowing. I was like, this guy's just on the street hanging can, out. I can go home now. I think that's enough. Yeah. <laughs> just mic drop and walk. Just out. amazing, Katomi. You can you you can con uh, attest to this. You you were I, I was unfamiliar with his work. Um, at, at least you know I know of the Yellow Magic Orchestra and and some of the people you've worked no, with, but I was unfamiliar a, with your. He has work. a much better quote. Okay. <laughs> uh, wait, do I have to say it verbatim? <laughs> You're responsible verbatim. for making Sakamoto Diuchi famous. Uh, mm. I've always that, that's such a that's such a compliment. I can really go home now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I owe you for that one. In, in all in all honesty, <laughs> though, um, I, I grew up with new wave music. My uncle was a musician, and a lot of the music that he listened to was new wave. So a lot of the stuff that came out of YMO solid state uh, solid state survivor uh, the damn it solid state survivor was one of the first records that I ever listened to that was YMO and that was my uncle's fault <laughs> along with that I was listening to Depeche Mode uh, and New Order at the same time and that was the soundtrack to my upbringing that was the soundtrack to my just growing up and listening to music right. and those are your lyrics mm. yeah I have so, I, th that that song especially it has such a backstory to it. Shall I tell it now or? Should, should I mean, yeah. I, you, you know, I think the crazy thing about this, we've been talking for maybe an hour already since you've been here, and you've told us so many interesting and, and amazing stories. For this episode, it may just be long walks off a short tangent. So let's do it. Please okay, tell so that story. Th th this basically, you know. 
So I come, I come to Japan in the late, uh, late 70s and uh, I, just, I was in London so I just, had, I, just had to, I just had to escape and then I arrived in Tokyo and I, I have a kind of weird background. I have a, I have a master's degree in microbiology <laughs> and, wow, okay. and I have a graphic, I have a one year, two year graphic arts degree also. So I have this kind of weird um, uh, co connection between the two, science and the arts. So the only thing I brought with me was some poems and they got published in the Japan Times. Um, I'm, I'm doing a very quick pricey of my life here. And then uh, um, Yukihiro Takahashi from, uh, from at that time, Sadistic Mika Band, who mm. were touring with Roxy Music, saw my poems, phoned me up, asked me, would I, can we use the poems uh, for a girl singer? I said, well, they're, they're, they're poems, they're not lyrics, but then that's what happened. So the next thing I happened, hap I wrote for Sadistic Mika Band, and Sadistics, and then... Mm. Yukihira calls me up one day and says, Chris, what do you think of the of the name Yellow Magic Orchestra? And I thought, mm, well, it's a little bit Japanese-English, but uh, yes, why not? And uh, then they sent me some tapes. And basically, I'm writing the lyrics before... I hear the music, so mm -hmm. and I suddenly, I suddenly go, oh, I'm a lyricist. I am sort of <laughs> frenetically writing thousands, not mm -hmm. I'm literally thousands of songs, but a, a lot of. And I would give YMO like 50, 50 songs at a time, and they'd s sift through them. They go, okay, this one, oh no, no, this one, this one. There's so many bad stuff in there, but they amazingly chose the good ones. So at that time, I'm thinking, where the, the atmosphere to write is really important, and for the um, for the. For the YMO, I'm in this kind of disposed, um, this futuristic state where um, it's, you know, um, uh, it's a homogeneous society where everybody is the same, where the businessmen are walking and, uh, right. uh, you know, dystopian, dystopian society. And so I thought, where can I write that where it's totally impersonal? So mm. the best place to write it was McDonald's. Because McDonald's <laughs> is so impersonal, it's fast food. You go in there, you take your food, you leave. It's not the Starbucks. It's the. It's this, and I never used a pronoun, so I'm I'm always in this very inert um, way of writing. Mm. Anyway, I just come back from uh, from uh, England, and I was starting to write punk songs at that time, mm. and I'm trying to write for a band called S mm, Plastics, who are kind of punkish. Uh, techno punkies and so I gave a few of those songs to them and then I go down to McDonald's so I get a pair of scissors and I cut up about 20 punk songs and put them all together and on a piece of tissue paper, pa paper I wrote Solid State Survivor oh I wow thought, I got, oh this is a really good song so I got on my bicycle it's a really windy night I go up the road for about half a mile and I'm right on the 246 which is the big highway in, in uh, Japan in, in Tokyo and I get home and I said to my wife, I've just written a really great song Solid State Survivor and I look in my pocket it's gone oh, so no, no. I go back down the road it's a really windy night I find this piece of tissue paper on McDonald's tissue paper I take it back I type it out on this little Olivet typewriter. I'm smashing the keys. I take it to YMO and they record it, and it's like uh, the biggest uh, song of the year. Wow! So without that, um, without that uh, fortuitous wind that blew it back into my uh, lap, that wouldn't have happened. But it's yeah, it's a really crazy story. Yeah. 
what year did you come out here? 1976? Uh, 76, I came out here when I was five years old. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Oh, oh, okay, I get it, I get it. Uh, At age jokes. five, uh, he was born. Uh, right, right. Yeah, right. Um, yeah, I came out then, and then in between, because people say, oh, you've been here so long. But actually, I've lived in Paris for six years, and backwards and forwards, and now I'm living in New York, and I have a house in, uh, in Kyoto, and that's where I really like to be in Kyoto, so I'm very confused oh, okay. about where I where I am and who I am and what I'm doing. I would love to get into a little bit more about like the creative community that you were involved in when you came out here. Uh, how how has it changed? Like, well, Can you tell us a little bit about uh, this kind of... It seems as though everybody that you're associated with are these kind of um, creative artists who... like. I, I, I want to say that it, everybody's trying to approach like high art. It's very thoughtful and deliberate, their approaches to things. What was that creative community like in the 70s or in 80s when you were in it? It's really the 80s. And, you know, the music community is really quite a small community. So, you know, once you've written for one person, there's always some uh, tangential connection with another band and they go oh okay oh chris has written for here so at, at one stage one stage after i started to work for ymo i am writing for everybody you know sheen and the rockets sandy and the sunsets a whole stack of people just because we're all in the same record company and i was i am in a way <laughs> i am the person who had the contact with the international market because mm. i'm writing in english so and at the, in those days in those Edo days mm. <laughs> of 200 <laughs> years ago, <laughs> I was I was one of the first pioneers of just being here. I mean, yeah. I was a sensitive soul. I had some, I had some poetics, uh, poetic um, skills, presumably. Although when I look back at some of my records, I go, oh, did I really write that? Um, I, mean, I was talking earlier about, you know, I've got a box in in uh, America, which I think I have about a thousand songs in it. And I thought, oh, maybe I should try and publish this as my unsung songs. And then I I went and looked at them, and they're abysmal. The whole, mm. I mean, there's a couple of nuggets in there. Go, oh, that's a good title. And I'm kind of a title guy. I start with a title when I write. And but there's a... There's a few nuggets, but basically deplorable songs. And I go, oh, good job I didn't. They, they, they. And I said, you know, w the Japanese do have an innate ability to choose the right songs. Mm. Even though I gave YMO like 50 songs, I think they, ch they chose well. And, uh, and then they, they would say, okay, well, originally, when I did the first album, the one before Solid State Survivor, they said, Chris, can we, can we just take any line? And, and kind of just take it <laughs> and then add it to a melody. Mm. Ah. And, I, and I was so naive and innocent. I go, oh, yeah, okay, okay. And so, like, if you look at La, Ch La Femme Chinois on the first album, mm. that's not my original title. My title was Susie Wong and the Shanghai Dolls. Mm. <laughs> and it's a, long, ah. it's, a long, it's a long song. But Yuki Hira goes, okay, Chris, I really like this line, uh, um, junk sales on a yellow sea. So they took that and they, they inserted it into another part of the of the verse. So on the second album, when we did uh, Solid, State, uh, Solid State Survivor, I go, no, 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 we can't do this anymore. Mm. And actually, you have to print the whole song. So actually, even on Solid State Survivor, there's some of my words that are not sung, but I made them actually pu pu publish the whole, ah. the, whole, the whole lyric. Okay. Uh, this was all taking place in Tokyo? This was taking, in Tokyo, we had that. Alpha Records was this small record company that was, um, formed and all around uh, YMO and Sheen and the Rockets and people mm. and the 
the president, Kunimurai, he also was a songwriter in his own right, but he was very in tune with what was going on, and also he had that the spirit of kind of internationalism. So when YMO started, yeah, we released the f we 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 released they released the first album, and nothing really happened. Mm -hmm. But then there's a band called Tubes that were in Los Angeles, and they go, "Hey, you want to come and uh, um, be the back band for uh, the Greek Theatre or something?" And they go, "Yes." So, so Cooney Marais says, "Okay, if you're going to go and play play." Uh, um, Los Angeles, why don't you play London and New York and we'll bill it as World Tour. Yeah. And mm. so that's what they did. And so when the YMO get back, they go, YMO World Tour. World Tour. Oh, shit. Of course, nobody knows who will, who knows YMO, but mm. they know, mm. whoa, World Tour, a Japanese yeah. band? And uh, just uh, took over. And actually, of course, it's a, class it's a classic album anyway. So, you know, they didn't, didn't have to prove themselves at all. What were some of like the creative epicenters in Tokyo back then? I, I, I mean, like during the '80s, I just have this kind of, especially the new wave type of era. I have this vision of all of these subcultures starting to emerge. You know, there's new wave, there's punk, there hip hop communities growing, and all of these rich creative areas. You know, they take place in a, all over the place. In New York, we kind of know where it happens, but here in Tokyo, where were kind of the thriving creative areas? McDonald's. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I was just in Mac I mean I have to I have to write even today I every every day I write for about 2 hours but I write in coffee shops outside mm. I need I need the ambience I think I think Kurt Vonnegut said like the existential hum I need that kind of just hum of society around me I can't I can't be in a room just you know writing bare bones in the room I have to be I have to have and I you know I, I'm kind of watch I watch people and I get I get some Ener I'm energized by this, especially Tokyo. To Tokyo to me, I am so British, as you can hear. I'm so British, but basically, don't in say. inside, inside, I'm so British, but outside, you've got this chaos state of, uh, of, of, of Japanese culture. And so this clash is just a really good creative force. Mm. And uh, in the 80s, somebody asked me quite recently, how has Japan, how has Tokyo changed? I don't think it has. It's a continually morphing city. I mean, it's not like London. London is like an empire-built stone and brick. Uh, it doesn't change. So I go back 20 years le later, and the, and the coffee shops are the same. Everything's, nothing's changed. People are sitting in the same armchairs, uh, watching the same reruns of TVs. But in Tokyo, it's like you're f it's, continu it's a continual organism of, of, of uh, mutation. So your favorite... Uh, restaurant becomes a pachinko parlor, and your the pachinko parlor uh, becomes your favorite restaurant. And so, uh, I don't think because everything is very, very uh, transient here. Mm. It's not, uh, yes, you know, yes. it's not it's not built to last. Spring sure. cleaning means you knock down the house and you start again. Right. Um, so. You know, when I say, has Tokyo changed? No, I, I walk the same streets. The, the position of the buildings has changed and it's getting, it's getting a little bit more crowded now because the Olympic Games are coming and uh, the, the economy is not so good. So people are invade, you know, invading, people are coming more, uh, more <laughs> on shopping sprees. Jeez, but okay. basically, it's the same city. And for me, being British in this environment is just a great uh, big buzz that I still... After all these years, it still uh, still uh, gets me. I have What's your um, favorite representation of Tokyo in like media? 
in the media, media like for example a lot of tourists come here and they're like oh i have to see the scramble and you know the big flashing lights in shibuya and i've seen maybe a couple pictures that kind of get that imagery or that feeling across or you know a lot of people come here and maybe they're a bit disappointed because they're like oh i was expecting more blade runner yeah. or mm. you know neon right uh lights following akira's bike mm. or you know yeah. uh not Akira, because he didn't ride the bike, but you I'm guys know what I'm talking about. I'm d I just like the locality, the, the local sense of, of Tokyo. I like the little streets. I like the safety. I, don't, I feel very secure. You can walk anywhere in, anywhere in Tokyo. I feel very secure. And just, just that sense of um, yeah, being, being completely free. Um, if if someone asked you, maybe besides like the written medium, if someone was like, Oh, I, I don't know anything about Tokyo, or what does Tokyo look like? What would you point them towards? Well, I'd put them into something like manga, you know. And actually, I've been I've been using manga as a kind of reference point. Not that I read <laughs> Japanese, I'm actually atrociously, but uh, basically, I, uh, you know, the manga the manga media is a really good one for me um, to bounce off um, just visual ideas into my poetry. So. Yeah, manga's a, manga's a good one. Anime is pretty good. I mean, I, I've worked on a lot of anime, but basically, I'm just given a, I'm just given a storyboard or a, just a theme, and then I they say, okay, this is the theme, and I write it. Uh, unfortunately, the record companies never tend to send me the uh, mm. uh, the, um, the 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 product, final. Oh, okay. the final product. Yeah. But um, yeah, Which it's is weird. Uh, it sounds good, you know, Ghost in the Shell and. Uh, you know, I work, I work a lot with somebody called Kanayoko, and uh, Kanayoko just writes these wonderful, flowing, long melody lines. And for me, it's um, that's my forte if I have one. It's this long, the long stretch lyric. Mm. And um, yeah, she's for me. Uh, I, you know, in the, especially in the '90s, I was doing a lot with her, and she's um, somebody that I, I I can work with very easily because we have a kind of similar uh, a similar chemistry between us. Yeah. Having having uh, worked within uh, you know with a lot of creatives here in Japan since the early '80s, it kind of makes you like one of the kind of first voices that were like non-Japanese out here that was actually participating within the culture. How do you think um, relationships between uh, non-English speaking foreigners, so to speak, how, how do you think relationships between foreigners and Japanese people have changed over your career? Well, you know, if I was one of the few people, it was like, I mean, it was like the black ships and I was on it. Uh, just, uh, you know, Commodore Perry came and I was I literally followed in his wake. Um, so nowadays there's a huge uh, influx of uh, foreigners and I, I don't even want to put it that way. It's just that... Uh, uh, I have a sp I found a specific niche for myself, and everything else, kind of, kind of became rather, rather um, insignificant, really, mm. because I wasn't. I was I was really concentrating on my my craft, my lyrics, and I and I, I was being introduced to this array of uh, uh, amazing musicians. So, other people. Yeah, everybody found their niche, but I just happened to 
come to Japan at the right my to say the right time. People say I was very lucky, but it's just like I was also writing in, in London. I was writing poems in London, and I, that's what I brought with me. Um, and um, everybody, all the people that I worked with, especially, were looking at, at a way to become international. Now the market is totally changed. Now it's very domestic. They're not. Nobody's interested in uh, in uh, in conquering London, conquering mm. the world. But at that time, everybody was wanted to conquer the world, and I was the conduit that could do that. And so, very early on, when I was working for Sadistics, I was sitting with with Yukihiro and Takanaka Masayoshi from uh, the guitarist and we're sitting around kind of planning the conquering of the world and I go and then I'll go okay and can I was trying to mix up cultures so I'm writing things like crazy kimono kids Tokyo mm. taste you know <laughs> kind of obvious bicultural references but slowly I got out of I I I kind of put some perspective on my lyrics and I go oh okay and then I started yeah Cut and pasting things mm. and um, not using as many words with like er in it yes. to mess them up a little bit. Yeah. 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 Well, that's a that's another thing. You have to be, you know, have to be very careful because sometimes you go, you know, I'm, I I write a word and I go, oh maybe I because uh, very early on I'm writing the lyrics first, so I'm you know you have to write for a composer who doesn't speak English or, or English mm. isn't particularly good. So I have to make my lines very short. I have to make the words uh, a reference to, them, to their knowledge of English. Mm. So you're really kind of confined. And so that was kind of a problem. But of course, you've got to be as creative as, as possible to do that. I mean, so if you look at, I don't know, if you look at Solid State Survivor, the strangeness of the strangest second-hand teenagers, you know, they're words that everybody, well, not everybody, but uh, most people can still conjure up an image of mm -hmm. without me having to use a much more uh, grammatical structure mm -hmm. or whatever. Uh, eyes blind, empty eyes, blank tongues ablaze. Mm. So I'm, right. I'm keeping within the confines of what I think a composer can write to. If you, if, you give them a, if you give them a long line, forget it. Sure. You can't, they can't do it. So, yeah. um, especially, especially, especially when I was writing the, the words first. And of course, songs are uh, very specific. So, you know, it's, it's a verse, verse, chorus, bridge, verse, mm -hmm. coda. You know, so there's right, a specific right. way of writing a song. But after I started writing in the 90s, especially with Kanayoko, she's giving me the music first. And when, right. you get, when you get the music first, you can do so much more. Mm. Because English yeah. is such a malleable language. Right. You can stretch it, you can pull it. You can, if, if, if you get a fantastic melody, you can put the back of a cornflake packet in there and mm. it sounds good. Right. It, you know, so I hate that's kind of degrading my lyrics, but you know, you can do that because the music will carry will carry it, a, it, a carry it creates a, song. a different like a uh, creative approach to it yeah. yeah and you can sing something that you didn't think was possible to be sung mm -hmm. if you're just writing it bare boned on uh on on a page but the greatest thing about uh japan was whenever in, especially in those days whenever a song is published they print they print the lyrics mm. <laughs> i went to a, i went to a party quite recently and somebody said to me 
oh, Chris, everybody over 50 knows your name. I go, all right, thanks very much. And then somebody, <laughs> and then somebody, came, somebody came and says, Chris, actually, I learned English from your lyrics. Mm. You know, drip dry eyes. And I go, oh, really? Yes, your English is very good now. Right, right. Okay. And use that in everyday language yeah. all day. Yeah, yeah right. Yeah. Actually, considering your cadence, what were the writers or lyricists that you were inspired by growing up? Or at very least, at the time when you were writing it all. Yeah, well, Bowie was a big... I was a big, big Bowie fan. The, the, cover, of, uh, the cover of Equation, you kind of yeah, look like a kinda, Bowie well, kind of guy right there. People say oh, that. <laughs> I actually met him. I met him because um, he was a big fan of Sandy and the Sunsets. And so I, I met him once and had a, a nice talk with him. Brilliant. Yeah, um, brilliant. But So he was... Yeah, he was something when I was... When I was in London, yeah, I had the whole look. I had the dyed hair and the, and the, and, the, and, the, and the makeup and the whole mm. thing. And yes, the, the Did equation you dress album. a little bit like uh, androgynously. Yes, as well? yes, I was. Uh, it's coming uh, back into style. You should, you know, <laughs> break the skirts out. Again. Maybe it's a bit late for that. I don't mm. know. You <laughs> never know. Break out the skirts. Yeah, yeah, yeah maybe. <laughs> That's the name mm. of the new record. Yeah, break out the skirts. Mm. We usually ask a question to uh, many guests: Who was your favorite? Uh, Artists, musicians usually. Who's your favorite artist when you were 16? So can you answer that question? Maybe not just limited to music? You know, at 15, I have to, in England, we have to decide between science and art. My father went to Cambridge University and studied economics. Uh, I, the, my mother's litany throughout my whole life was, well, you know, your father went to Cambridge and has a double first. And so I was under those, that shadow of my father as a scientist. And at 15, you have to make a decision between, between science and art. I was rather good at art, but basically my father has the dominance. And he says, right, oh, you're going to go in the art stream. Once you, go in the, once you go in the science stream, once you go in the science stream, then naturally you have to go to university and mm. go on from there. And so when I started, I did a, a degree in microbiology. I did, a, P, I did a, a master's in pathology. My mother thought I was going to be a doctor. And then suddenly it all fell through because I decided I was going to be a poet or a lyricist. And I gave up the, I gave up the master's and I came to Tokyo and I escaped. Um, you so broke your poor mom's heart. So Yeah, I broke my mom's heart, yeah. So when, if I think about those days, you know, we're talking in the 60s right mm. so who is like is the beatles the stones uh, i don't know the who all all those the big bands mm -hmm. w but bowie you know when i was like yes 20 and bowie's came and so right. you know, t-rex before or bowie but bowie is the big influence and of course oh. you know he was there's a famous uh film of him doing some kind of burrows cut up um, work, mm -hmm. so he's 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 cutting up um, p uh, lyrics and fixing them together, and that oh oh I can do that, and so you do, and so I did even with Solid State Survivor I did that, and it's amazing you can you can discover sentences that you would never ever think of writing, right. and I still use it, but I do it in a in a different way now. I didn't I didn't bring my 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 book where I should do it every day I might write, and I. To me, words, I use about three books at a time. And I use like a, like a William Burroughs book, like a Cities of the Red Knight. And I'll use, I use a very traditional um, modern writer, Japanese writer. And then I might use the Kojiki, like an old, very old, ancient, um, biblical kind of Japanese book. And then I'm 
I'm looking. I know what I want to write, but I'm looking for the words. They have to, they have to find me or I find them. So mm. it's not random. I think with Burroughs and people, it was, there's a lot of randomness to it. They just, mm -hmm. you know, okay, let's take the scissors and cut everything up and put them together and see what we find. Mm. No, no, I'm not doing that. I'm, so if I look at my notebooks, I have one page where I know what I'm writing about, but I put them all the, I go and discover the words and then I ring them and then I, then I circle them and I go, oh, okay, here's, this, here's something. And then I put it on the other side of the page and then maybe I'll add to it or, or subtract to it. Um, so, to, yeah, to me, it's a really good system that I can work from. Your, your writing is primarily using uh, pen, pen to paper? Yes. Okay. Um, basically, I find there's a lot of um, the physicality, physic the physicality, the physicality, yes, of just the 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 touch, the of knowing that the pen is hitting the paper and writing, mm. is you know it's something to me much more positive. When I when I transfer it to the computer, then I will edit. Because generally, if you, if you use a pen, and I become very flowery. I, would use, I use a lot more adjectives and things, or I, mm. I use a lot more. I'm, I'm, the paper makes you much more emotive and much more right. emotional. So when you get onto the, onto the screen, you can see it and you go, oh, okay, this is far too much, mm. and you, you, know, you splice it down. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, the computer's, the computer's really good for, for editing your... Right your emotions yeah. you know being more well, pen to paper is far more uh, far less forgiving as well you can you you would have to scratch something out you know you can't just add a word in you know backspace and type something else in and yeah well i far less forgiving. You, you i should have brought my books but i don't uh, when i write i don't scratch anything out i'm so pedantic mm. i'm i when i write everything is very pristine and clear page after page I write but then when I put it on on the computer then I will edit dramatically so I'll take it I'll take a lot of the words out mm. or take out huge chunks and I have to, I have to ask because I'm very very curious considering that you were writing at this time um, the Manchester boom was happening because this was back in the 70s mm -hmm. this was back in the early 80s did you have your finger on the pulse at the time, considering that you were in Tokyo, even when you were working with Sakamoto and you were working with YMO back in there, you know, at the progenitor phase? Did you have your finger on the pulse back when the, the new wave movement and the punk movement was happening, even back in, in Britain? Yeah, because I was, I was traveling backwards and forwards. I was, you know, yeah. I, was, I was going back and see my mom and things like that. So I was, I was continually doing that. And of course, I'm constantly thinking I must be on time because... Language is a, is a, a very ev evolving thing. You have to be on time, and musically the same. You know, everything mm. is completely, I very quickly um, right. evolving. So, was I was I did I have my pulse as much as anyone could? I tried. I mean, I'm right. I'm listening to all the new new releases. I'm, I'm I'm reading the lyrics and what people do. I mean, Talking Heads was another good influence on me. Um, okay. Um, yeah, I met David Byrne and spoke to him, and oh, there's so many. You know, one stage, I've been through, the, the techno phase kind of went, and then I went into my talking heads, uh, Brian Eno, Bush of Ghosts kind mm. of images of uh, the Tokyo is the si is a jungle. And then I, I did, uh, uh, all my poems went in that way, you know, the jungle kind of look, 
And then, and then in the 90s especially, I was doing a lot of animes, Ghost in the Shell, Gan- Gandam. I went to India for six months. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was a kind of a, a big eye-opener and big shock for me. And I, used, I used a lot of influence from uh, Indian culture there. Do you feel like your vernacular changed between then uh, when you started and you were primarily working with uh, YMO at the time and then these stints working with these anime um, exclusive productions and going to India? Do you feel like your, your um, vocabulary has changed or altered? Can, can I uh, try to shape that question into something else that I was going to ask a, a little bit? So oh, I'm absolutely. Like, we're, we're at the end of another decade, right? We're almost mm-hmm. at 2020. Mm-hmm. Could you kind of give us, um, uh, along the lines of the what Katomi just asked, how your style has changed, can you give us a breakdown decade to decade of what you think your work focus on and how it's evolved from maybe the 80s to now like mm-hmm. 40 mm-hmm. decades of just uh, <laughs> tremendous output Gosh, i know it's, a, from it's quite age a, five <laughs> right yeah to from to age five to now so yeah it's just a just a blink of an eye there from birth um, to dating my grandma <laughs> just 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 give, just give us a, a rough yeah, like your, synopsis your hip-hop grandma um <laughs> i've got to meet her she sounds fascinating um, Sam Gurr. A, uh, well let's say I've matured. I mean, that's the thing. That's the thing with with writing any, any form of writing, with with lyrics or um, uh, with poetry. I've matured. I've be, I've become, I think, much better. I'm a much better. I've 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 experienced more. I've 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 uh, discovered how to write better. Um, if you look at my my new work. I couldn't have written that uh, 40, 40 years mm. ago. No way. I'm, I was totally naive. I mean, when I came to Tokyo, I'd never written a lyric in my my life. I'd written poems, but I was that that was it. Um, so, just there's a difference between lyric, lyric writing and poetry writing. And so, you know, when I started the 80s and the techno uh, theme, so I then started to yeah, think about dystopian societies, uh, homogeneous, uh, uh, impersonal lifestyles, um, business, um, businessmen, kind of uh, no meritocracies, uh, just lifetime uh, jobs and all these kind of things. And those all came into play. And coming into the 90s, I started to work with Tanikawa Shuntaro, the poet, and we did a lot of experimental. I, I, I pu- we published this this record and this this. Okay, let me just. So I, w- at the end of the end of the eighties, I looked at all my work and I go, oh, it's all different, but it's all the same. Mm-hmm. So I needed to change my voice. So so then I wrote seventy seven oracles. There's a there's a title. And there's a sub there's a sub poem. This pub, pub, sub poem is about three lines long. The title and the and the poem are not connected. They're called the oracles of distraction. And so the idea was to tr- distract you, to change your viewpoint. Yeah. So people would go, uh, I go into the studio and they say, "Say, Chris, we want to make this record." Blah blah blah. I said, "Okay, wait a minute." And I bring. I was to carry this pack of seventy-seven cards. I thought it was some sort of mystical number. Mm. Looking at. So I, I used to shuffle the pack and I go, okay, 
this way. And we then I would do that. Anyway, I met Tanikawa Shuntaro, and he's a fame, very famous poet and a wonderful man. And uh, I had dinner with him, and he goes, Chris, what's that? I go, oh, it's this pack of cards I carry around with me, 77 cards, and I showed them. He goes, oh, Chris, this is really interesting. Can I write the reverse? Oh, <laughs> I, go, I go, oh, yes, yes, you can. And so it, was, it wasn't a translation. It was just his version of 77. And one thing with Tanikawa, he's like a businessman. When he says, I will write for you, he does it. Mm. So th three weeks later, I wow. go to, I go to an, a poetry retreat, and Tanikawa's there. And he goes, oh, Chris, I finished. I go, wow. uh, what do you mean, you finished? Uh, I finished at 77. I go, oh, really? And so, so then we had, 70, we had 77 cards, 77 Japanese poems, 77... Um, English poems, and then the record company, which was formed by um, by Sakamoto, which is called MIDI, they go, oh, Chris, you know, suddenly the CD came. They go, oh, you can program the CD. They go, oh, Chris, why don't you make an album? And I'm going, of course, I'm trying to convince them, yes, this is a great idea. So I go, oh, it's going to be easy. We're going to write 10 songs a day. It's just going to be a little sound. It's going to be little sound bites. It's going to be like just it's noise, basically. Mm -hmm. And so we, sta we started a to do A bit avant-garde. Yeah, very, very avant-garde. <laughs> so we go, in, we, go, we go in the studio. There's just two of us. Um, this is Imayu. He's the uh, keyboard player for Sadistic Mika Band, and we go into the studio. And yeah, we convinced MIDI that we were going to do this album very quickly, and we we're going to do ten songs a day. Yeah, we come out the first day. We've written one and a half songs, oh, <laughs> <laughs> and it's really there's a lot of crazy. A lot of avant-garde, experimental, but a lot of classical music. We're sampling stuff. We're because the sampling had just come in as, as well. So we're sampling stuff. We're I'm I'm making a violinist. I, we have no score. I say okay, the violinist. He comes. There. Okay, try to imagine uh, a woman on fire jumping from a ladder in. China, in in Hong Kong into the cat streets of Hong Kong and, she, and he goes okay and I said okay go and he goes and I go mm, no 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 more she's flying through the air to land into she the doesn't thing. land it's hard <laughs> yeah. Yeah. and so that kind of thing or I'd say to a quite famous guitarist um, actually untune your guitar and now play mm. and all these all these kind of experimental things so after about 54 songs the record company says, Chris, Chris, stop, 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 stop. We're out of budget. We have no more money. Mm. I'm going, <laughs> 54, we're nearly there. 77. Right. Okay, okay. So then, um, then we had, um, then we had a f some friends of mine in New York painted 77 paintings. So we, oh, had, so we had 77 paintings, 77 Japanese poems, Jap uh, 77 my lyrics. We did the CD, and inside the CD, it's a double package CD, inside are the cards. This is like, in Japan, we call this omikuji. Omikuji, if you go to the temple, you can shake a, you can shake a stick, and you, you get a prophecy from your card. So this was the basically Japanese omikuji. Mm -hmm. So the idea is you, um, you put the CD on, you... Uh, shuffle the pack, you pick a card, it's number 25, you go to your CD and you program number 25. Mm. And it will play your, your musical track to go with that, with the poem. Or you can do it the that. other way around, you can press shuffle and it will shuffle any song and it will give you a reading, a different 
interpretation of the poem. This is like some postmodern I Ching. Uh, it, yeah. It's, well, I, I, I use an oracle, that. right? You know, I used that. I said, "This is the musical I Ching." I didn't bring it today. I, uh, I um, would love to get a hold of the this. oracles of distraction. It's called Kibarashi Mikuji in Japanese, and then at Lafrey Museum in uh, in Tokyo. We had 77 paintings, 77 uh, uh, Japanese poems, 77 English poems, and we had them on huge, big uh, panels of, of, of um, like latex panels. And, uh, and then you enter the gallery with a headphone, a wireless headphone. You walk anywhere in the gallery, and from the roof, on the ceiling, it will beam you that track for the... Uh, for the for the, for the painting and the, and the and the music, yes, it was brilliant. Yeah. I love these approaches. That so like, that's what I was know, doing. I was doing art. these. You know, at that time the economy was good, and when they said, "Oh, Chris, you want to make an album?" Like, because I started with equation, because I I originally gave. I kind of moved ahead of myself with YMO. I, I, I didn't want to continue to write the Solid State Survivor and the little poems. So I started to write poems like m m In the Shapes of Mazes. I took a poem. I wrote it in ink. I, in ink. I went into the shower and had a shower with it. Um, um, all sorts of kind of experimental ways to do that. And then I gave them to YMO and they go, oh... This is like uh, just too advanced mm. for what where we are, and so Kumimurai, who is uh, the president of of, uh, of Alpha Records, says, "Chris, oh, why don't you do it? Do your Ma own. Do your own thing." So I made. Were you just doing like more drugs than them, or uh, <laughs> who knows? I think Tokyo itself what? is a, just a narcotic. Yeah. <laughs> I think just. I think. I mean, just now, I'm I'm walking in Ikebukuro. That's where we are, folks. I'm in Ikebukuro. I don't come here very often. <laughs> Ikebukuro is just like another 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 planet to it me. Feels different than a lot of mm -hmm. other places. Absolutely. In Tokyo, right? Large yep. Chinese community. Mm -hmm. Can Can I ask a little bit about that? And of course, I don't want you to implicate yourself or any other specific people but was there like a usually in these creative cultures there's a little bit of drugs you know involved in a lot of these communities no matter where it is in the world was there uh, I, I know japan's position on drugs now but i heard that you used to be able to get mushrooms from so many different places here like were there a lot of drugs involved in these communities yeah i think in some in some uh, parts of the of the culture definitely there was i mean it tends to be quite squeaky clean. Yeah. I mean, hey, there's a. It's a very strict. If you get, when I was doing the Equation album, my drummer who come all the way from Los Angeles, the first day he gets here, he's busted. Oh wow. He's thrown in jail. He's thrown in jail for about uh, thirty days, and then he's then he's deported. Oh wow. So that was th that was. Uh, so you, uh, if you want to uh, keep your lifestyle and you want to s stay in this country um you should be a bit squeaky clean sure. and i mean there, of course in any culture there's was it just because he couldn't get he couldn't get through customs i don't know I, I think he ordered in for the first day thinking it was los angeles yeah forgot about forgot about the uh he got the, sloppy the yeah, <laughs> yeah. He forgot about the coban down the end of the road that was, uh, the best <laughs> of us. was this before or after mccartney um um about the same time actually yes mccartney oh. goes yeah goes <laughs> literally got uh, deported the first time he gets in here yeah that's Get right and then you're not a beetle <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
I, w- I would like to ask you, you've worked with some of the greatest uh, musicians and singers uh, of all time. Uh, Jordan had a question. He wanted to know what you, like you have a song that uh, you wrote and originally it was supposed to be on Thriller, Michael Jackson's Thriller. Right. For whatever reasons, it was not on there. Right. Later it was released on a posthumous album that he made. Can yeah. you tell us a little bit about that and yeah. just the experience of even uh, somebody of his caliber uh, wanting to use your lyrics? Well, it's very freaky because, <laughs> you know, I originally wrote the song for Yellow Magic Orchestra on the Solid State Survivor album. And I'd just been to see a play by W.B. Yeats called okay. At Hawk's Well. And, you know, the Irish are very similar uh, to the Japanese in the sense that they have a drama where they wear masks. So I'd just been to see, to see that. And also, Yeats has a poem called The Musk. And in the poem, it's basically saying, who are you? You know, the fire that you ex- that is coming from you tells me more than what the, what the face is expressing. And I thought, oh, this is a really nice idea. So that's, I presume, because it sits a long time ago in the dark recesses of my mind, uh, that's how I wrote it originally, mm-hmm. behind the mask. <laughs> you know, is it me, is it you behind the mask, I ask. And then Sakamoto had already written a, a jingle kind of thing for... Uh, Seiko, Seiko watches or something. So he had that track, and then he goes, "Chris, um, because I didn't have a melody. I just gave him the lyrics, and he put, he made the melody from my uh, from my lyrics. And then he calls me back in the studio, and says, "Chris, we need another verse." So then I wrote another verse, and then that was uh, published in Solid State Survivor, and it was a big hit. Then. This is what I know because I'm, you know, I'm, I'm a little bit second-hand information here. But basically, Quincy Jones, who was working as the producer for Michael Jackson, came over and he found that song, took it back to Los Angeles, and Michael Jackson recorded it. But he added an extra melody line and he added an extra uh, extra lyric line. So the next thing I hear is my company, my record company, says, "Chris, Michael Jackson has recorded your song for the Thrill album." But I'm going, who's Michael Jackson? Mm. I mean, (laughs) mean, literally, I was not into that, you know, what soul rhythm and soul kind of stuff you know mm. i was i was still in my techno phase or you know semi-punk or rock phase bowie kind of phase so michael jackson so they go the by the way from the jackson five <laughs> like that guy <laughs> so i go that guy yeah that guy the little guy with the jackson five i go that guy and then he goes chris he basically wants he's recorded for the thrill album but he wants to take 50 percent of your lyrics mm. and 50 uh, for copyright 50% of your lyrics, and Sakamoto wants, to, he'll take 50% of the music. So I go, okay, you know, thinking nothing of it. And Sakamoto did the same. We, all, we, we agreed. The next thing I hear is my publishing company said no. Oh, no. They said, no, no, it's our song. It's our 100%. You can't take a Beatles song and add some lyrics and say it's mine. Like, like right. So they go, no. So the next thing we heard, he took it off the album, oh took it no. off the Thriller album. You must have been feeling <laughs> a little upset so when he turns around as that cat werewolf yeah, that starts exactly. the, in the then zombie I go, dance. Then I yeah. go, wait a minute, that Thriller album? Oh, that multi, multi-million multi <laughs> album? <laughs> we Diamond, were supposed like to be multi- on that? Man. So, so the, But the funny thing was, that song was recorded. Mm. It was recorded, and it was then it became a kind of like urban legend that that was the song that never was recorded for the thrill and that never got on there. Mm. And it, it, it had a kind of a life of its own. So then 
Michael Jackson then gave it to Greg Fillingales, who then made a single out of it, which was uh, in the top uh, 50 black charts. Then Greg Fillingales, Eric Clapton comes to town, to Los Angeles. Eric, um, Greg gives it to Eric. So the next thing I hear, my mother, who lives in this little village in the north of England called Ilkley, she phones me and she goes, Chris, do you know somebody called Eric Clapton? I go, yes, ma'am, why? <laughs> well, well, the boy... I might the, have heard of him. The boy, the, yeah, my mother hadn't. The boy next door has just come round and he has a single record and your name's on it. I go, really, ma'am? What, what's the name of the song? She goes, Behind the Mask. I go, oh... Yeah, I think that's my song. And so, well, our song. And so then I phoned the record company. And go, oh, yes, Chris, didn't I tell you? I go, no, you didn't tell me. Uh, Eric Clapton's uh, recorded it. So then, yeah, I think it was in the top 20 kind of hits, and he took it onto the album. And that's then, amazing. of course, when Michael Jackson died, right. uh, the first song that ever was going to be published, because basically it's the only song from the Thriller, sa- from the thriller recordings. Mm-hmm. Of course, it went on... Uh, and, and some of the, like, I went back, I listened to the track, and I was looking at some of the reviews of that album, and people were saying, like, oh, this is one of Michael Jackson's finest moments. This song is just, like, everything that Michael Jackson ever ascended to be, like, encapsulated in this song, and it was so emotive and expressive and just captured a real It's been re-recorded element. several times yeah. since then. Yeah, I mean, it's been recorded by uh, Human League and a few... Yeah. And, oh... <laughs> Here's the funny one. <laughs> um, there's a, a Welsh band. And this was in like early 2000s. There's a Welsh band called Goldie Looking Chain. It's a rap band. So the record company Fomia and they go, Chris, um, they've sampled Behind the Mask and they want to use it, but they've changed the lyrics totally. I go, but still, that's a, I don't care. It's, I still get paid for the sample. Mm-hmm. And they, uh, they go, um, <laughs> I go, what's the name of the song? They go, Your Mother's Got a Penis. Hey. <laughs> I go, oh, really? I said, well, pretty trashy. My mother will really appreciate the, mm. uh, the sentiment. And so <laughs> I phoned my mother. I said, oh, then it, was a, it, was an, it got in the top five I- singles in England. Oh, so wow. I, I, phoned my, I, I phoned my mother and I go, Mum, I've got a hit in the charts in, in, in England. She goes, Chris, oh, well done. Well, what's the name of the song? I mean, you don't really want to know. I go, no, tell me what it's I go, I go, it's your mother's got a penis. She goes, oh. This country has gone to the dogs. I don't know what's <laughs> happening. <laughs> <laughs> wow. I like, I like how your record label, after you know, keeping the song off of Thriller and then seeing what happened with Thriller, they were just like, oh, yeah, you can record it. We're going to get this record penis funny. Yeah. Anybody yeah. can record it. It's for yeah. everyone. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I, I, you, know, you get a license, and you get a license, <laughs> yeah. and everybody gets a license. And, of course, I'm the last to know that anything like this is happening. You know, like... Oh, mm. Eric Clapton's recorded. How do I hear that? Through my mother. Mm. <laughs> uh, were you compensated, uh, you know, properly for these type of no. things? Or is it just... No. no? Really? Oh, no. Um, well, there's two parts to this story. There's two parts to the story. First, well, I, sh- I don't know if I can all sh- go this way. I shouldn't be telling too many, too many um, uh, smutty stories here. Mm. Uh, basically, we, we uh, smut. okay, yeah, yeah. here's the smut. smut then. Uh, basically, um, Kuni Mirai, who is the, the who is the instigator, instigator of all the YMO and the, all the bands that uh, Alpha, Alpha produced in the 80s, got divorced. Mm. One of his uh, one of his divorce settlements was all Yellow Magic Orchestra's copyright. Oh. 
which oh. he then gave to his wife. Uh, unfortunately, his wife knows nothing at all about publishing. Mm. So from that time onwards, my song, all my songs with Waimo and She and the Rockets are with her. She doesn't know anything about publishing, doesn't know what's happening. Um, and also then she gave the publishing rights to her sister. Her sister's even worse, doesn't know anything about it. So for years, I hadn't been paid anything. Well, I, actually, a funny story was I, I suddenly got a huge, huge royalty for... Um, um, Gundam. Uh, no, for, for Behind the Mask. Okay. Uh, for... Um, um, which I thought it was for radio airplay. So I go, oh. So I said to my wife and my kids, let's go on holiday. So I went to Borneo. I spent the whole frigging lot. I just went all over. Wow. I spent them. I went in the most expensive hotel. I took flights here, did all sorts of things. When I get back, when I get back to Tokyo, the jazz rack phones me in the jazz rack, which is the music music right. union. They go, oh, Chris, sorry, we made a mistake. That money is not for you. It's for Michael Jackson. Oh shit. I go. Oh, I'm sorry, I've spent it. <laughs> He's going to have to, like, yeah. <laughs> and then they go, oh, you know, Chris, you know, Jazzrack is a non-profit organization, and if, you, and if you don't give the money back, then we, you know, everybody else suffers. And I go, oh, you know, I'm... So I go to jazz rock and everybody's bowing them, bowing over themselves, you know, trying to be, trying to be sympathetic to me. And I go, okay, then I'll pay it back, but I'll pay it back at fifty percent until it's over. Mm. So it took me a long time. <laughs> so oh all my royalties were cut until that. Okay. Life of an artist. Yeah. Man. And even today, I can say this: anywhere around the world, that song, the Michael Jackson song. I get paid for, for radio airplay. This is I get played in Iceland, Poland, North Korea. I can see it on my jazz rack. Mm -hmm. From America, zero, really? nothing. England's now suddenly England's now became pretty good. I don't know why. I have I have had lawyers on it. I have been I have been trying to uh, I've been to Jazzrack and they go yes we're trying Chris we don't know what's happening. There's some system. There's a there's a, a twist in the in the in the cogs. I don't know what's going on. Yeah, haven't been paid for America oh, at all. But that is that is quite unfortunate. <laughs> but I mean, like giving up on the yeah. on the American. <laughs> I was well, like, really, well, you know, uh, people people used to say to me because at one time I was doing some lectures at Worcester University, which is a very good university. Yeah. My mother thinks it's the Oxford and Cambridge of uh, of Japan. Yeah. And one day I go into the uh, into the staff room and they go, "Oh, Chris, you know, my son is a big fan of Michael Jackson, and actually he knows it's on your uh, uh, the song is on his his new the posthumous album." Mm -hmm. I go, really? And everybody's go, oh, Chris, you can retire. You can sit by the swimming yeah. pool drinking co drinking pina coladas. Right. And I believe that story. <laughs> so, I, <laughs> so I went, oh, you're so right. I think I can. So I quit the universe, that, that, that thing. And so for six months, I'm having cold sweat. What did I do that? Because it was giving me my visa as well. Oh. I'm going, what you stupid boy you know oh, <laughs> yeah, but, but actually but actually it was worth it now <laughs> i didn't sit by the pool and drink drink uh, cocktails but basically it was worth doing but still okay but, yeah. i mean it's so incredible just to kind of be a part of that though to know that your music lives on it has to you know help soften the blow 
just amazing to think that I wrote that most probably on another piece of tissue paper in McDonald's and it goes out to the world. It's, you know, people think that I'm like some, I've got some incredible studio there in a, in a mansion. I'm sitting in McDonald's on a plastic chair, you know, with a piece of tissue paper. Hashtag no, not <laughs> sponsored by McDonald's. <laughs> Mega sings McDonald's praises a lot. Oh, yeah. <laughs> there's, a lot there's a lot of magic that happens in McDonald's. Well, I've got, and you're I've just got, another example. I've of got that. a friend of mine, um, um, uh, Uwe, Uwe Smits from, he's a, a guy called At, uh, Atom TM, and he's a, a big techno guy from Germany living in, um, in Santiago, and I've worked with him a few times. And when I was in Boulder, when I, I moved to Boulder, I'm with a, with a lot of DJs, we're doing a lot of shows, I had some Splatterhead events, we, I, had, I had this group called Splatterhead and the Oblivion Brotherhood, and we did all these shows, and when I said I'm working with Atom TM, they go, oh, you're working with Atom TM? I'm going, and they go, he's like the Beatles for us. And so they were so ultimately impressed because I didn't know who that was at that time. Mm -hmm. So then he invited me down to Santiago. So I went down to Santiago, and I'm thinking he's going to have a, you know, the state-of-the-art um, studio. When I get down there, just like you, he's yeah. got... He's got an, State arm, of the art an armchair. Right. <laughs> <laughs> He's got an armchair. He's got an armchair and a laptop and a couple of speakers and a few odds and ends. And he goes, "This is where it all comes from." And I'm going, "Yeah, it's the it's the equivalent of my McDonald's, basically." A lot we, of the magic um, happens like that. I mean, yeah, definitely. We recently had some up and coming Japanese artists in here, and there's a, a video of them on YouTube in their studio, and it's just you know one of their rooms. They've got you know egg cartons on the walls right, and right. you know a lot of my fate not a lot but some of my favorite albums are you know usually the debut a lot of the time that's usually the peak for some people or at least a high point and then they'll talk about it like yeah you know we recorded in a bedroom you know they were behind me laughing at everything that yeah. i said that's just the the way it works you know initially for some people at the beginning and in you can't really hear any lack of quality, like audio quality, mm. and sometimes that even adds to it, like when sure. there are things like that in there. I think sometimes the better recordings are the, the original ones, the, the, the first ones you ever do, because yeah. if you keep repeating it, you just, you get, you get more and more fine and you get like, okay, we should repeat that. You know, uh, it doesn't quite hit the beat. It's not quite, you mm. know, and mm -hmm. then you lose the whole spirit sure. of the thing. Right. I mean, it's happened. I've been to the studio when they recorded my song and then they do a rough mix and they give me the rough mix. And I go back, oh, this is such a yeah. good mix. And then you get the album coming out and it's all been flattened out. Right. Yeah. Uh, you've, lo uh, you've lost. Timing is you've, too amazing. Yeah, and, yeah. and the Japanese, are what, they're really sticklers for that right. kind of, okay, the, the that you have to hit it right here yeah. on the beat, and uh, That's right. you lose and a little bit of soul. You lose a lot happens. of soul. That, that uh, gives me one of the questions I wanted to ask: Is there any um, lyric or something that you've written yourself or assisted on that you think or thought at some point? Oh, I, I would like to rewrite that, or I, I wish I could change it. You mean like a line in like a song that was released? Yeah, or maybe a whole song. Well, if I look back at my whole catalog, I could most probably say that about 50% of all my songs. <laughs> I don't think, you know, you have to put it in, I think you have to put lyrics in perspective of the time when it was written mm -hmm. and the, and the, and the, 
the maturity of your your skills. Right. And so I can be forgiven sometimes for thinking, oh, did I write that? Oh, I, I would have liked to have tweaked that. I, I don't think I would have liked to have rewritten much. Mm. I would have liked to have tweaked it and say, oh, I could change that word. I mean, because there's some, some songs like, I used to write for a lot, a lot of songs for Sandy and the Sunsets, and she, Sandy, was a fantastic singer, and she was born in Hawaii, she speaks perfect English, mm -hmm. and so beautiful to have somebody re um, sing your lyrics perfectly, with no problems. And, yeah, sometimes now I look and I go, oh, I, I could have tweaked that, because she could sing anything. Mm. And that was the good thing with uh, anime. A lot of the anime movies are recorded in New York by session singers and some great session singers. And they can sing anything as too. Sure. Um, so w but when you're dealing with Japanese artists, you have to go into the studio and I if they don't speak, if their English is not very good and they don't speak it, you go, okay, let's, let's, let's try again, let's try. Sure. And after a while you go, I, I can't say this uh, too many times, otherwise you completely destroy their, their, their confidence. You say, oh, it's good, it's good. When you know it's not good. <laughs> Mm -hmm. um, uh, I I I want to talk about your um, your newest release. Uh, what is it? The Radicals. Uh -huh. uh, but let's go ahead and take a break, and then we'll come back and we'll do the musical shares. Okay. Cool, eh? Episode number ninety-eight. Pay attention right now for the upcoming uh -huh. forecast. We should get your um, social media information anywhere you are on okay. the internet. Yes. Digital. Now. Yes. Um, well, you can go to my website, which is chrismoster.com. Um, you can go to my Facebook, which is also Chris Marstall. Um, you can yeah. you can find him on my friends list, Robinson. Mega, okay, if it's easier. Um, um, and you can, if you want to contact me, basically this 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 new book of mine. I'm only I'm doing it through shows. I'm doing some performances and doing one next week in Kyoto, and I'm selling it through that. I'm not selling it through Amazon. I don't want to give any money to Amazon. Mm. I just want to. Nice. I want to just uh, sell it personally through through friends. Uh, or people who come to my show. So if you really want to buy my, uh, just contact me through my my website, through the an email account, or uh, or through Facebook, and we can arrange. If you're in Tokyo, I'll meet you. I'll uh, I'll sign it for you. <laughs> and if you use the special <laughs> promo code Mega Late Show, Chris will let me know, and I will send right. you a private message of a winky emoji. Right. You get, you get, you get a, a personalized <laughs> handshake from Chris at a special meeting. And uh -huh. if for some reason you type Mega Late Show twice or you misspell Mega Late Show, I will mail you a McDonald's napkin <laughs> of that winky emoji. Watchers have to mail out some <laughs> damn McDonald's napkin. Yeah. Well, there's uh, nothing written on it. It's just cut yeah, up. Yeah, this mm. cut. Yeah, it's just cut the McDonald's. Yeah, cut the cut the McDonald's napkin up and uh, shipping uh, paid uh, upon delivery. Uh, we're actually gonna <laughs> 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 right. We're we're, go we're actually gonna cut up all the audio from this episode and re-record it for you in a new cut up special. Uh, Chris Mosdell, Brian Geis, yeah, and William yeah. S. Burroughs. It's the seventy. It's the seventy eighth Oracle of Distraction. <laughs> <laughs> The seventeenth. Oh, are we the seventy-eighth oracles? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's the new podcast name. All right, <laughs> rebranding. Mega Late Show number ninety-eight. Pay attention for the upcoming shows right now. Ayo, welcome to the late late show. Uh, time for the weather. Oh shit, we're not saying that anymore. Time for the gig calendar of the mega late show where we talk about all the things going on in tokyo this week 
and a bit beyond. So we're going to start with today, the 29th of November, Friday. We got a Dog Ear Records 13th anniversary party, excuse me, at Club Asia. And that is pretty much, I'm going to assume, everybody on that record label. And that includes Isugi, uh, Senindo, Mr. Pug, Kanji I Can't Read. Nope, can't read it. Nope. Epic and Shinobi, Yahiko and OYG, shout out to OYG. Bess, Kojo, shout out to Kojo. And shout out to Il Sugi. Actually, shout out to everybody. But, you know, they've been on the show. Uh, also, Cram, shout out to Cram. Uh, Enron, GQ, DJ Yuze, and a whole bunch of DJs. Uh, also got Kid Fresino, Buddha Monk, and JJJ doing separate DJ sets, respectively. So yeah, that's going down today at Club Asia from 11. You should go peep that. After you come to the homie Shad AD's event, uh, we're doing, or he's doing, Avalanche Blackout Edition, another blacklight party. This time it's not going all night. It's running from 7 to 11. And the performers there will be Aphrodite, Laidback CX, and I believe, oh man, there was another act, but they got changed. And I know the girl, but I forgot what her name is. And I don't feel like looking it up. I'll look it up, but maybe I won't. But she's dope. She does like a, she's dope. Also, DJs, Hero King. Odd Circuit, shout out to Odd Circuit, shout out to Hero King too, shout out to Aphrodite, shout out to Layback CX, <laughs> and Smooth as Eggs, which is me and my guy Fax Dorable. So that's going down at 7. So you should roll through to that, and then when that's finished, go over to the Dog Year Records anniversary party, and that'll be a nice little Friday for you. Moving on, uh, not much going on Saturday. But Sunday, we're having Speak Easy, December Birthday Bash Edition. I don't know if that's the official title, but um, Don, Zabu, Sarasa, and Terry are all born in December. So, going to do a little birthday thing-a-thing. Not, well, you know, it's Speak Easy. And then I'm sure somebody will bring a cake or something. <sighs> May guys don't get any cake. Anyways... Also, we got some special guests. We got the Good People's... Man, I really should do more research on this. But uh, yes, uh, we got uh, Sarasa's homie DJing, the Good People's Records Club, I believe. Maybe something like that. And then Somyaku and Putafetch of the Breakdown Crew will also be playing. So it's going to be a nice little... Uh, I wouldn't say like Avengers, but um, like, you know, it's like worlds 
I don't know what the crossover was called. Maybe it was called a Crisis of Infinite Worlds, where you know they got Green Arrow and the Flash and Supergirl. Maybe the Teen Titans, not the Teen Titans. I forget what they called them. The Titans, and they did that crossover on WB. But this one won't be shit. You know what I mean? Speakeasy and the breakdown. Uh, moving on, we have not a lot going on. Um, I was going to do Collusion Friday the sixth, but I think I'm gonna cancel for reasons. So instead of coming to Collusion, you can go see Jungle Brothers at Sound Museum Vision on December 6th. And there are hella DJs that night. I don't really see anyone I recognize. So yeah, go catch out the Jungle Brothers and enjoy some classics. Um, also, maybe look out for them on some other platform or whatever in the future i feel like my energy is not usually where it is i'm recording this very late and i know my apartment walls are thin and my neighbors are probably tired of my ass after more than a couple years anyways anyways uh the next day the seventh tight is happening a uh, shout out to our guy dj quiet storm he's also doing living room at contact on the third December 3rd. That's a regular event. He does that every first Tuesday. So if you peep the calendar, you'll see that or you know that already. But Tight, his other event that's been going on for more than 20 years, shout out to him and DJ Yass. They're going to be doing it. How much stuff did we lose right there? Let's pretend that didn't happen. They're going to be doing that on the 7th at uh, Club Asia. And they got Crush and Muro there. So, yeah, that's a dope lineup. So go peep them on the 7th. And then we're going to fast forward to the future. We're, gonna, we're just going to do a quick little jump here. Hot first year anniversary. That is going to be uh, me. Fax Dorabo. DJ Sarasa, Brooklyn Terry, and the Urban Aristocrat. Yeah, that is going down like it normally does. Second Saturdays at Blue Jam Cafe in Azaba Juban. Uh, switching it up a little bit this time. Obviously, we got a dope guest list. Also, there's going to be a cover. The cover is 1,000 yen. You get two drink tickets. And we're also going to do a vodka shot kampai at some point, maybe early. So you're going to want to come early because we're also doing, or Blue Jam is going to be doing free food from 7 to 8. So an hour of uh, aperitivo or apersena, apersena. I don't know how to pronounce that. Do you hold the N in Italian? I'm not quite sure. <laughs> But yeah, uh, Hot is been going on for a year now. We're going to do a little, some things a little bit differently in the future. Going on into 2020. Wow, Jesus Christ. And yeah, but uh, first we're going to do this hopefully big blowout event with uh, my speakeasy big bro, big sis, mom, dad. 
and my uh, big bro, Urban Aristocrat, and my little bro, Fax Dorbo, in the place to be. Um, yeah, that's the gig calendar. Actually, December is pretty fucking stacked. There's like something going on every day. And towards the end of the month, things are going to get especially heavy when everybody starts doing their countdown events. So, yeah, peep the calendar and find some stuff to do. I want to do a lot of stuff. I don't know if I'll be able to because I want to go to Wrestle Kingdom. Uh, why am I talking to you guys like we're friends? I love you, Tanakas. Uh, peace. Catch the rest of the episode with uh, Chris Mosdell next Tuesday before you go to Living Room with DJ Quiet Storm. I'm rambling again. Peace, guys. <laughs>